I have been really struck um, emotionally by the passing of Queen Elizabeth, and I didn't think I would be. Um, one of the things that so many people have spoken about her is the ease at which she, she puts you at ease when you meet her. That's what people have said. She doesn't cling on to the authority and the aura that surrounds her, that when you go speak to her, it so, comes so easily. And this, we've been doing this preaching series on encounters with Jesus. So just imagine the aura, <coughs> sorry, and the authority that is around Jesus, the word of God, the God who created, the God created the whole world through the word. Just imagine, we can't even imagine, even if you tried, the aura that surrounds him. But he came down, and he was so approachable. So as we go through these encounters with the, and I really thank God for the life of Queen Elizabeth. She's such an incredible woman. And the fact that I, when I think about her, I think about her as a glimpse of what Jesus was, a tiny glimpse of how approachable he was, how he sought to service, and how he laid down his life for us. She, I think she's a little glimpse of that, and we're so blessed to have her as an example. But think about Jesus, how much more of an aura he had, and how incredible that these people who we've been talking about these few weeks have had the privilege of encountering him. So let's pray before we open the word. Father God, we thank you for your glory and your majesty. And we thank you because this morning we get to worship you, worship you for your glory and your majesty and your power and your greatness, Lord. Even though when we see the, say the word power, when we say the word greatness, we have no understanding of how great is your power, Lord. But with what we do understand, Lord, we worship you and we thank you for that. And Lord, even now, Lord, we bring ourselves under your hand. And we invite you, living word of God, to come and transform our minds and our hearts today. And Lord, wash us with water by your word. We thank you for your word because it's sweeter than honey in the honeycomb. Come and reveal yourself to us, Lord Jesus. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So today we are going to look at Nicodemus. Nicodemus encountering Jesus. So for those of you who are not very well versed with the Bible, I just thought I'll give you a little bit of an introduction about Nicodemus. Now Nicodemus was a Pharisee. A Pharisee is a person who is very strict and religious and who has a very strict code of conduct that they follow. So Nicodemus was a Pharisee. He was a very strict religious person. He was also a teacher of the law, and he was also a member of the Jewish ruling council. So for those of you who are here, I think I saw some youth here, but they seem to have disappeared. So I just thought for, for your sake, I would say to you, that's sort of like maybe a professor at um, Cambridge or Oxford, and also a member of the parliament, or maybe even a minister. So that's the status that Nicodemus had in, the, in, in his country. That's a very high status. And he was also an incredibly rich man. 
How do we know that? Because when Jesus died on the night, Nicodemus brought in 100 pounds worth of very expensive spices to prepare Jesus' body for burial. So he's a very rich man. So that's the status of Nicodemus. People like him would in no way want to be associated with someone like Jesus. Because Jesus and his followers were considered by the people at that time to be uneducated people who went about and who were good for nothing. And especially, they came from a place called Galilee, which is good for nothing anyway. That was what they thought at that time. So people like Nicodemus would no way like to be seen to next to Jesus. So that's the introduction I'd like to give to you about Nicodemus. Now let's go to the Bible passage and let's just read through that. So I'm going to read from John chapter 3, verses 1 to 21. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered and said to him, Most assuredly I say to you, Unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Most assuredly I say to you, Unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you can hear the sound of it, but cannot tell where it comes from and where it goes. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus answered and said to him, How can these things be? Jesus answered and said to him, Are you the teacher in Israel and you do not know these things? Most assuredly, I say to you, we speak what we know and testify what we have seen, and you do not receive our witness. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how will you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended to heaven, but he who came down from heaven, that is the Son of Man who is in heaven. And as Moses was lifted up, lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. Now this uh, verse 14 is the clue, that seed that Jesus planted in Nicodemus' heart that eventually led to him to believe in Jesus. And we'll move, move on. That whoever, verse 15, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten son of God. And this is the condemnation that the light has come into the world and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. For everyone practicing evil hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his deeds should be exposed. 
but he who does the truth comes to the light that his deeds may be clearly seen that they have been done in God. So at the end of this passage, we get the feeling that Nicodemus is not a believer. The Bible doesn't say it explicitly, but it does not say that he believed. He recognized Jesus as a rabbi. That's a great thing to do for a man of his stature, to call Jesus as teacher. He's putting himself under Jesus. He was humble enough to do that, but he did not recognize Jesus as the Messiah at this stage. Um, the next mention of Nicodemus is in John chapter 7, verses 50 and 51. So this is when the Jewish festival of Passover was happening. So for kids who might not know the significance of Passover, it's as important, it was, Passover was as important to Jews as Christmas is to us. So this was happening, and at that time, the Jewish ruling council somehow wanted to get Jesus and kill him. That was the intention. So at this point in time, Nicodemus, verse 50, he who came to Jesus by night, being one of them, one of the ruling council, said to them, does our Lord judge a man before it hears him and knows what he's doing? So at this point in time, after a few days, he stood up for Jesus. So initially he came to Jesus by night because he didn't want to be identified with Jesus, but this time he wasn't identifying himself with Jesus, but he stood up for Jesus. So he still had not made up his mind about Jesus yet, although he was still open and he was seeking. Now the last mention of Nicodemus is in John chapter 19, verses 39 to 40. So this was the night that Jesus died. So do you remember I said that Jesus planted a clue in his heart about the bronze serpent being lifted up? I don't know. That might have been the clue that made the day that he saw Jesus lifted up on the cross might have really convinced him who Jesus was. I don't know. This is just my imagination. I won't claim it is. But on that night, I'm, in fact, I'm going to start from verse 38 because that gives context. After this, Joseph Arimathea, being a disciple of Jesus, but secretly for fear of the Jews, asked Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus, and Pilate gave him permission. So he came and took the body of Jesus. And Nicodemus, who at first came to Jesus by night, also came, bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about a hundred pounds. Then they took the body of Jesus and bound it in strips of linen and the spices as the custom of the Jews is to bury. So this is when he fully identified with Jesus. He dared to identify with Jesus. So this is the story of Nicodemus. What have we, 2,000 years later, what have we got to learn from this encounter? The first thing is, the highlight of this passage, in fact, the highlight of the whole New Testament, I would say, the most quoted verse, New Testament verse in the Bible is in this passage, is in Jesus' conversation with Nicodemus, which is John chapter 3, verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him, whoever 
should not perish but have everlasting life. And that's the highlight of this conversation. There are two other key verses, and I thought we'll tie them up together to see, to have a glimpse in a nutshell of what God's plan of salvation for his people was. So the, three, the two other key verses are verses 3 and verse 5, and I'm going to read them because uh, they're quite powerful. Most assuredly, I say to you, whenever Jesus says most assuredly, it means sit up, take note, listen. It's very important what I'm going to say to you is. Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Verse 5, he expands on it. Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born of the water and of the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. And in this verse that says that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. How do we tie these three words up together? So when Jesus says, most assuredly I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. I think we can turn it around and say, if someone is born again, he can enter the kingdom of God. So if we think about it in that way, in the positive way, if someone is born again, if someone is born of water and the spirit, they can see and enter the kingdom of God. And I think we can all agree that having when someone enters the kingdom of God, then they get everlasting life. I think we can use our logic to figure out that if, when we enter the kingdom of God, then we get everlasting life. So what ties that together? If entering the kingdom of God is equal or equivalent to everlasting life, then being born again must be believing in Jesus. I hope that makes sense to people. So being born again is something that is um, not tangible, it is something that is spiritual and cannot be seen, as Jesus is saying in this passage. But in the same passage, Jesus is saying, if we believe in him, verse 316, um, 3 verse 16, if we believe in him, we have everlasting life. So being born again is the same as we are born again when we believe in him. Now, I am not saying this of myself. There is a verse that actually puts these two together, and that is John chapter 1 verse 12. John chapter 1 verse 12 says, but as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, to those who believe in his name. So this is the verse that ties all of these together. So what does it mean when we become children of God? We are born into God's family, born again. So, so many times when I was young, I used to wonder, what is born again? I don't get it at all, but this is what it is. We just had to put the puzzle together, the pieces together. We are born again when we believe in Jesus, when we receive Jesus. We are born into God's family spiritually, and then we get to be adopted children of God. Jesus is the begotten son of God, and we are the adopted children of God. And we have the right to call him Abba Father. And as uh, Sam, I think that's his name, 
said so rightly, we can go into his throne room as an owl mentioned that as well. I don't know if it was in the prayer or here, that we have the right to go approach his throne room anytime we choose to. And that is the privilege that we have. And we are co-heirs with Christ, and our names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life. And this is what we Christians call as salvation. Salvation, being saved. Entering into God's family. So what I'd like to say at this stage to all of us is, if you have never taken that step to receive Jesus into your heart, into your life, if you've never ever taken, if you've always been worried about it, worried that something may happen to you, I don't want to give control of my life to Jesus, I would encourage you to do so today. Because you get to then call God your father. We, we, when we worship today, we talked about the greatness and majesty of Just imagine, just imagine being one of the little kids, George or, or maybe William. How great it is to be the king's son. Well, how much more greater it is to be God's child. So I would encourage you. I would encourage you, if you have never received Jesus into your life, I would encourage you to do that. And God so loved you. God so loves you that he gave his only begotten son. All you need to do is just believe in him and receive him. One of my friends was saying a couple of weeks ago, how come becoming God's child is so easy? Just believe in him. That's far too easy. Why would God make it so easy for us? I can't believe it. And rightly so. If you are thinking, this is far too easy, I can just say it. But I'd like you to think about the adoption process that happens. When a family wants to adopt a child, let's say a small baby, all the onus, all the responsibility, everything is on the parents. The child needs to do nothing. The child just needs to be given to them. In fact, when it's a baby, the child can't even come. And why? Why is that so? Because society recognizes that the ability, the intellect, and the power that the parents hold is far beyond the ability, the intellect, and the power of a tiny baby. And that's why it's so important in the adoption process that all the onus, all the responsibility, everything rests on the hands of the parents, not on the child. That's the same thing with us. The difference in ability, power, and intellect, and wisdom between us and God is infinitely greater than the difference in ability, wisdom, and intellect between a baby and a 20, 30-year-old is. It's infinitely greater. And that's why God put all the onus, all the responsibility, everything on himself. He took all the responsibility, and he made it so easy for us. It's really disappointing if we... Ignore that. It's really disappointing if you don't take this offer. It's the best offer that you can ever have. You just believe in Jesus. Amen. He is the only way to God. There is no other name. There is no other way to God but Jesus. And if you have never done so before, I would encourage you to do it right now. 
And if you want to receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior and be cleansed from all your sin today, I would encourage you if you would like to go to the back. If, if there's any one of you here who feel in your heart that you're ready to receive Jesus, that you've never had the experience of being born again before, I would really encourage you to go to the back. If you want to go to the back, there are people who are looking out for anyone who might step back and we could pray with you right now if you want to do that. Um, or if you don't want to do that right now, you can do that at the end as well. If you've never received Jesus in your heart before, you can always come and speak to us at the end of uh, this and we can talk to you about it. In your heart, all you need to do is say to God, Jesus, I believe in Jesus that he died for my sins and I receive Jesus in my heart. So salvation plan is very, very easy. It's up to us though to take the offer or not. Okay. The preach is not over yet because Nicodemus had not believed yet. So there may be some of you here who are still seeking, who may be coming to church regularly. You may be coming to church regularly, you may be connected with church, but you still in your heart had not given control of your life to Jesus. Because coming to church does not save people. Doing good deeds does not save, good pe uh, does not save people. Our righteousness, even though we may be the best in the world, is just like a filthy rag. It is nothing compared to the holiness of such a great God. We can never earn God's kingdom. Never, ever. And that's why Jesus came and died for us. And he was forsaken by his father, and he had to cry out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me for our sake? He is the only way to salvation. But Jesus does respect you. He does give you and me the power to choose. He never forces anything on anybody. He loves you enough to give you the power to choose. So you may be coming to church many times. You may have come to church many times, but you may still be seeking. That's okay. That's okay. What can we learn from Nicodemus if we are a seeker who still has not got the final, who still hasn't got, made that final step of faith in giving our life to Jesus? Firstly, there are four things I'd like to say before I close. Firstly, Nicodemus was sincerely seeking the truth. Most Pharisees who came to Jesus to talk to him tried to talk to him to catch him in his words, if we see in other places in the Bible. But Nicodemus didn't do that. He was, in fact, he was humble enough to come to Jesus, considering the status he had. He recognized Jesus as a teacher, and he was sincerely seeking the truth. Second thing as a seeker, what you can do is you can ask questions. In verse 4, Nicodemus asked this question. How can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? That seems 
to be like an impertinent question, almost as if he was being sarcastic. So this question reminds me of, a, of something that happened in our family. I'll be very quick about it. Uh, when my youngest daughter was three years old, um, she came to me with that look in her face that tells you that, oh, this is something very serious. She's taught it thoroughly. So she had that look on her face, and she comes to me, and she says, Mom, so I listen very carefully. Sometimes you half listen, don't you? So I listen very carefully. And, uh, Mom, I really would like to be the first in the family. Can we all go back in your tummy and change the order around? <laughs> Bless her, she was fed up with being the youngest. So. I could see that she was so serious about it, so I managed to keep a straight face, and I said to her, I'm really sorry, but now that they're all out, it's too late to change it. So she said, okay, and she went away. So it's okay, this kind of a question, coming from a little child. But for Nicodemus to ask this question, I first thought, how sarcastic. Uh, but it's not. It's, um, I went and read up on this, and apparently this was a form of a rabbinic dialogue that um, rabbis, when they were learning, when students were learning from rabbis, they would press on and keep pressing on to expose the impossibility of a statement, so that's in order to exclude it, and thereby to draw truth from it. So he wasn't being sarcastic, his questions were genuine. So if you are a seeker, I would encourage you to question. But not question for the sake of questioning and bringing on a discussion for the sake of argument, but question, your genuine question, God welcomes that. Come to God himself with the questions. God, what about this? I really don't understand. Come to him. If you are a seeker, you're more than welcome to question. In fact, it's quite interesting how Jesus replied to Nicodemus. Jesus actually answered Nicodemus's question and elaborated on it. Usually, when the Pharisees come to Jesus, Jesus doesn't give a direct answer. He usually asks a counter question to a question. But with Nicodemus, Jesus answers the question in verse 5. Thirdly, if you are still seeking and you have questions, you can ask the questions but don't expect all questions to be answered in the way you want. Because verse 9, Nicodemus asks the question, how can these things be? And Jesus didn't answer that question directly, although he gave a lovely answer that eventually led to Nicodemus. Now, when I think about why didn't answer, Jesus answer that question directly, I thought about that, and I thought that I would focus on what Nicodemus did not do. So as soon as Jesus talked to Nicodemus about being born again, Jesus, it was right of Jesus to expect Nicodemus to say, how can then I be born again, right? So Jesus talked to him and said, unless someone is born again, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. So I would expect Nicodemus, if he wanted to be born again and enter God's kingdom, to ask, how can then I be born again? He did not do that. And another thing that Nicodemus did not do is that he did not recognize Jesus as the Messiah. Whereas in many other cases, when in encounters with Jesus, as soon as Jesus said something profound, people recognized that he was the Messiah. But Nicodemus, being a teacher in Israel, had not still recognized it. And that's why Jesus did not give a direct answer. God's ways cannot be fully understood by our intellect. 
it can only be re revealed by the Holy Spirit. So if you have questions, and some of your questions may not be answered. Why? Because God is God. He need not explain himself to everybody. There is no reason. God is God. He is far beyond what we are. And so we might have to accept that sometimes. In Jesus' way, it is not understand in order to believe, because that was Nicodemus's approach. He wanted to understand in order to believe, but in God's terms, you believe in order to understand. That's something that we need to respect God for, so do not expect all your questions to be answered. Fourthly, remember God loves you. He loves you. He, even if, if you still ha don't believe in Jesus and you are still a seeker, he loves you the same way he loves his own child. You are loved. Because that's what Jesus said to Nicodemus, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. So God loves you. He loved you so much that he gave up his son to die on the cross for you. When, when, God, when Jesus said this word, for God so loved the world, that word love is not to be taken lightly. It cost God to love you. It cost God. It cost Jesus everything to love you. He gave up his glory, the only beloved son of God, to come down for you. So what I would advise and what I would suggest to the, if you are still a seeker, is seek with an open mind, just like Nicodemus, seek in humility. The second is come to Jesus himself with genuine questions. Come and ask God himself the question. Why are you seeking the answers anywhere else? If God is God, you can come to him for questions, with your questions. Third is don't expect all questions to be answered because God is God. He does not have to explain himself. And fourthly, the most important thing of all is, whether you're a child or whether you're a seeker, God loves you. God loves you. Remember that. Shall we pray before we close? So I'd like you to think about whether you're born again. You might have been born again already, but you may not have known exactly how that happens. Remember, being born again is receiving Jesus. If you receive Jesus in your heart, you are born again, and you are in God's kingdom. And secondly, if you still haven't taken that step in your heart to receive Jesus into your life and make him Lord of your life, that's okay. But just remember, seek the truth. Ask questions. Don't expect all questions to be answered. And remember, God loves you. God loves you so much more than you ever know. Father God, we thank you for this morning. We thank you because you are such a great God and your greatness is unsearchable. 
We don't even understand the meaning of the word great, Lord, when we talk of your greatness. That's how tiny, minuscule our understanding of you is. And Father God, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you that he came and he died on the cross for us. And we thank you because he rose again on the third day because death could not hold him. We thank you because Jesus, you are still seated at the right hand of the Father and you're interceding for us, Lord. And we thank you for that. And we thank you because by the name of Jesus and by the blood of Jesus, we have a direct entry into the throne room of God, the creator of the world himself. And we thank you for that. And we praise you and we worship you for that. And Father God, we thank you for the love with which you sent your son for us. And we love you, Lord. We love you because you first loved us. And we love you with all our heart. And today, Lord, I'd like to bring before you those of us who are here who are still seeking, who still haven't taken that step of having faith in the name of Jesus. And I pray, Lord, that you'll open the eyes of their understanding and that they may know that they may know that they may know that you are the only way to God. And Father God, I pray for your blessing on us, Lord, as we receive this word. Help us to hide it in our hearts, Lord, and to bear fruit from it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.